0: Deep Faith Nine, Season 4. Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of Deep Faith Nine. Uh, Apologies for the uh, delay in production of Deep Faith Nine. It has been a a few weeks since I've recorded uh, one. Um, I had quite a number of personal issues uh, in my own life. Um, You may have heard of the injury of my my beloved hound and beagle, Winchester. Um, So he's doing very, very well um, and um, has recovered from his injuries really, really well uh and um also we've had a, a bout of covid isolation in our household so um that's also um meant that uh, things went on hold for a little while we did manage to continue to run with voygen um and largely because uh lindsay and elizabeth just keep showing up every friday which is just great um but organizing guests became Difficult. But there's um, absolutely no difficulty or drama in organizing the guests that I have today. My old uh, and, and reliable friend Robin Yang joins us for this episode in Season 4, Episode 4, Indiscretion. Welcome to Deep Faith 9 again, Robin. Good morning, Will, and good morning, everyone who's listening. It's a joy to be here in this space, and thanks for having me. It's been a while. Oh, it has been. It's and um, I always look forward to the opportunity to sit down and uh, and talk through Star Trek and science fiction, uh, but also role play. Um, uh, I I will let the world know that uh, Robin is uh, my, my current narrative DM for uh, the Adventures of Urig, uh, as well as being a cast member for Exegetical Role, which will be on Twitch on Friday, um, and we'll be attempting to do a bit of a live hybrid kind of model for exegetical role. So check that out on Friday um, when you come along. We're having a good time with uh,
1: those role-playing adventures. Um, and of course, Will is uh, someone who's been uh, um, my, my longest DM, well, ever since, oh, I can't even remember, 20 plus years now. So had many adventures together.
0: Way back in uh, in uh, theological college, after a long day of theologizing, we would disappear into strange new worlds. Indeed. So, uh, look, I actually think that when I'm looking at this episode, um, it has some real role playing strengths to it, doesn't it? I mean, when we look at it in discretion, I'm going to do the synopsis now and then um, we'll unpack it. So, uh, Kira and Gold Ducat go after the lost prison ship, the Ravenock. Ducat has a secret. Meanwhile, Cassidy Yates tries to find work near Bajor, leaving Cisco uncomfortable. Um, There's an A plot and a B plot. um, And, um, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff here. But I love the fact that in this episode we've got, you know, a a discovered clue, the whole fragment, uh, a a shady contact that we go to get more information, uh, a destination where there's a mystery to unlock. um, And so there's really a um I, I guess a, a really strong adventure role play thread running through this episode. Well, a mystery is always uh, a powerful uh, motivator for
1: any adventure. Um, but when characters uh, have got a particularly a personal agenda um, attached to the outcome of the of the mystery, um, it's particularly powerful, and for Norris and for Goldicott, uh, they both have very um, personal
0: reasons for finding this ship. Absolutely. And we we get some great NPCs in this adventure. You know, we get uh, Raza Khan, played by Roy Brocksmith.
1: Raska Khan, if I'm not mistaken, smuggler, thief, black marketeer. There are at least 12 outstanding warrants for your arrest on Cardassia right now But I suggest we ignore all that and try to cooperate with one another The voice of the new Cardassia, so compassionate, so understanding Almost makes you forget that five years ago he was working Bajoran to death in forced labor camps and shooting anybody who tried to stop him
0: um he he's the guy they go and talk to um and has that great line you know uh, uh why didn't you tell me that he was coming showing this animosity there was between uh, the Bajorans and the Cardassians and especially with gold Ducat. but uh yeah some great um some some of those great points in there uh absolutely and i i need to say up front
1: for all um listeners and a reminder to you will that i don't have a very deep and far no- widespread knowledge of the Deep Space Nine universe, and so, uh, uh, please excuse <laughs> my ignorance in in a lot of the the uh, the, the wider picture of, of and where this where this fits in.
0: And and there's a real shift, I think, um, for some. You know, watching episode by episode, just enjoying the the action and and moments of each episode. But uh, as we talked about before this epi- before getting started today, there's a real sense that this episode is expanding the characters um, and giving us a, a richer background um, especially there's a lot of information in this episode about the effect of the occupation of Bajor by the Cardassians um, and, and um, I mean we've had hints of that before and we've always known that that's been there in the case but the personal cost um, of that, and and I I can't help as I was watching today, think about the occupation of Ukraine by Russia at this point in time, a, a, a larger power with superior force attempting to go in and just just uh, strip resources, um and um and without a care or thought for the population that exists there, uh, and there, there's some very poignant lines in this episode that really tap into that um that real world experience that's taking place at the moment i think the occupation of a foreign power is uh we've, we
1: see examples of littered through uh through world history um and every time it happens it is absolutely devastating um i find it to be really interesting that um our two characters in plot a uh, narice and goldicott uh they hate each other as far as i'm aware um Norice is i, I think numerous times has has wanted to kill Goldicott for you know leading the occupation and for killing what what we imagine thousands and thousands of Bajorans um but then to be forced to work together in this new peace treaty that forces enemies to work um, I was watching this episode and at times I was I, I was I found it to be really uncomfortable that Goldicott was trying to be, Almost human, well, Cardassian, um, <laughs> um, in 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 the nicest possible way. Like, and I was like, what is going on? This person is evil, or have I misread this person? Like, is there actually a a soul behind this 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 killing maniac dictator, massacre?
0: And then you get the, 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 the crash back to earth with Goldcott where he attempts to uh, reframe the occupation as being good for Bajor. The fact
1: is the Bajoran people are stronger now than they have been in centuries. When we arrived, you were a weak contemplative race choking on your isolation. And now you have a new confidence, a whole new sense of purpose, not to mention, a key role in the future of this
0: entire quadrant. Look, hand me a phaser, I'll shoot him myself. <laughs> I'm really
1: surprised that uh, Norrice just didn't kill uh, him right there and then, but of course, the writers wanted something. I mean, it's not nice they'd be killing off a main character,
0: is it? Oh, and we've got a long way to go <laughs> with the um, well redemption arc of Gold Ducott, uh, if 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 that can even be said, like even right up until season seven. I mean, spoilers in this episode. Um, there there gets to be a lot more to 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 hate about Goldacot. I mean, he is responsible for the death of Judzia Dax when that occurs later on. Um, he he gets um involved in the politics of Bejor again in very destructive ways, and and continues to profess an undying love for Major Kira throughout all seven seasons, which is just like. Gross, I have to say. That's utterly gross. <laughs> I did not know
1: that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it's really interesting that here we, up until this point, and, and just to, based on what you said, we see uh, a character that is so awful and so worthy of being disliked and even hated. And yet, we see that his personal reason for this going on this mission to find this lost ship is because... He was in love, and he was to find not only uh, whether his wife, Bajoran wife, was alive, but also his daughter. And and that for me, again, is just a what in the world? Um, wh- how could a the, the leader of an occupation force fall in love with the enemy? I mean, it's like the lion sleeping with a lamb or sitting down with the lamb, lying next to the lamb. So, I do know.
0: But there's a sense in which there's there's no empathy in this man. Like he, it's it's all about himself. It's about power, and so even love becomes a commodity an acquisition. Um, you know that 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 uh, I, I just uh, I, I question whether or not it, it 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 was love. You know whether it was was an agape, as the Greeks would put it. There was certainly not unconditional love. Um, there was something quite possessive uh and 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 abusive about the way that um he was wanting to 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 talk about that history and then clean up that present in order to be able to maintain power in the future it, it um it was really fascinating one uh, one could argue that goldicott um had a
1: had a a loving side to him in terms of he didn't just you know kick Kick or kill his wife and child, but try to give them a better life. Um, at the end, when he didn't kill his daughter, um, one could see that as an act of compassion or love, perhaps. What a great, what a great man who didn't kill his daughter. <laughs> kill his thanks, daughter. Thanks,
0: thanks. You're really, you're really reaching there. It's, it sounds like you know when one of our leaders at one stage said, "Oh, what a great country we live in!" That the women can protest outside Parliament House. <laughs> Elsewhere, they'd be met by a hail of bullets. You know, like. Yes, yes, that, that was that was that was top marks for him there. Um, deciding at the last moment not to kill his daughter. Yeah, great. But but, <laughs> well, yes, okay. But
1: but when we consider, and I'm just I'm just perhaps being a bit of an uh, um, an advocate, a devil's advocate here. Um, the the Cardassian culture would have no place for them, um, and the killing killing of of them would have been the. If you will, compassionate thing to do in in a Cardassian um, society. Um, even even the Bajoran um, prisoners who were with um, his daughter
0: were saying that your father will kill you. Um, and Zial herself says, when faced with her father, with the with the phaser pointed at her. If I can't
1: be with you, then I'd rather die.
0: Um, death is the best option here, um, you know, and, and I mean, that's the turning point face to face, but but she recognises. And, and I, I, I admit, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I'm judging Gold by uh, the standards of empathy, compassion, um, of the human cultural standards that if I were a Cardassian, um, then certainly he's making the right moral choice from a Cardassian perspective. And what he decides to do at the end of the episode is actually to make the wrong moral choice by actually taking her back to Cardassia with with him.
1: Which is where the conflict between um, uh, Norris and Caldicott was because Norris was saying, don't you dare kill your, your daughter, otherwise I'll kill you. So there is this... Difference of culture, difference of expectations, and also, but but also at the same time, we have to acknowledge, and and Golda-Kot acknowledges that that he's doing this for very personal and selfish reasons. He wants to save his career. He wants to, well, one could argue that saving his family is perhaps less selfish, but ultimately, it's self-serving.
0: So um, let's talk a little bit about that culture um, and, and that's part of the reason why I've, I've got you here today, Robin, as a subject matter expert on living between cultures. Um, you know, uh, w- what happens when there's a conflict between the morality of one culture and another? How does, how does a person who actually lives in both worlds make a decision um, about what's moral um, when, there's a, when there's a clear conflict between two different understandings of, of, of right and wrong? Yeah. Uh,
1: well, f- firstly, for those of you who don't know me, um, I have um, Korean parents, uh, and so my life experience has been in a immigrant diaspora community living in Australia. I think um, when we look at Zial, we're looking at um, a multi-racial um, family, parents from different cultures. Um, and Different species, as that. So, so we're looking. So, so this is layered by more complexity than just um, an immigrant experience. Um, but, but the different layers. I think it's important to acknowledge and, and recognize different layers of issues that that are there. Um, you have the, the the coming together not only of different cultures, which is, involves um, looks and. Um, practices, but you're looking at traditions as well. Um, pers- both the cultural traditions uh, as well as family traditions, uh, and so they and and so from from my ex- life, um, you know, Korean and Australian um, times when when they collide are things like um, education. Koreans and if you know anything about Asians, um, you know, doctors, lawyers, and um, business is the only professions that you're allowed to go to everything else is seen as less <laughs> or, or a failure um, uh, you know top marks is everything whereas um, more in, in Australian society uh, you know it's it's opportunity exists for anyone to do anything um, family traditions like the food we eat the 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 rituals of taking shoes off um I remember the first time I went into um, my friend's home when I was a child uh, and wearing my shoes inside their home it was it was the most weird and bizarre thing ever uh, and so you you know you take those kind of um issues and then you bring together further stuff like politics and um Uh, communal expectations about how you should live, who you are. Um, It it can be quite sidelining. It can be quite, there's a lot of discrimination potentially. uh, And, but at the same time as all the hardships, there are also opportunities. And I think um, when people come from a different, um, have different perspectives and they bring it into a family, um, it can be very enriching. I I know uh, a number of people who uh, who have parents from different cultures and different backgrounds, and they have a remarkable depth of understanding when it comes to acknowledging difference, accepting difference, um, and to be able to navigate um, difficult spaces where people who have really primarily lived in homogenous cultures and relationships just don't get. Um, And and so I, I think. There is a lot of uh, opportunities in the midst of the challenges, um, and depending upon where those where where the a person grows up um, and the environment within which they are nurtured, they 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 can really either make or break a person.
0: Yep, Star Trek loves to play in this area, I and mean, when you think about it, um, you know Spock in the original series, a uh, half human, half Vulcan. Um, how does he come to terms with his biological um, um, halves? How does he how does he come to terms with uh, his father's world, his mother's world? And then again, we we do this with Worf, um, full Klingon but raised by humans, um, Balana Torres in in Voyager. Um, so we we have this 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 um, this concept of what it means for us to be able to um, make sense of of the worlds that actually live within us. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that we get to do this in Star Trek. And in particular, um, this new character, uh, Tora Zial, um, Deep Space Nine does something that uh, I've, I've constantly said I wish Star Trek would do. They bring a new character into the story and they continue to um, have her appear throughout the the future seasons of Deep Space Nine, um, and uh, and so often in Star Trek we say at the end of an episode like this and we never saw them again, but that's not the case with Zial. Zial actually wrestles with this um, and and has to come to terms with what it means um, to 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 be part Bajoran living in Cardassia, to be part Cardassia. Khad living in Bajor. And, and so, so I love that they, they don't just let this thread go, but that we actually get to, to follow Zial through forward into the future. And, and I think one of the,
1: the great um, depths of character development and character yeah the arc here is that we there are two enemies. Um, she's bo- been born out of the coming together of two enemies um, that are trying to make... Things work, and so she's bordering this line not only between two different traditions, cultures, everything, but those who actually hate each other. Um, and and so wherever she goes, um, she will
0: be rejected or seen as a half caste. Yep. And and the writers have really set the Cardassians up for us, the viewer, as irredeemable. Um, you know, we, we we even way before this. I just the other day I watched. Um, uh, the the episode of of deep of uh, next Generation um, where Picard is captured um, by the Cardassians uh, and tortured by the Cardassians and made to 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 confess that there were five lights when there are only four lights you with know, that iconic scene and um, that where where Patrick Stewart is actually defiantly yelling there are there are four lights um, throughout all of Star Trek narrative, up to this point and even into the future there seems to be every reason for us to distrust dislike and even hate the Cardassians because they just seem to be morally, morally bankrupt but um, they have their own code, their own system, their own way of understanding the universe um, and it's easy well actually I think we're compelled by the writing to judge them for that
1: and as someone who's um, relatively, who's an old time fan but lacks a lot of depth. Um, This episode actually instilled me with quite a bit of confusion as to what actually was the real agenda that was going on here. Was it a real rescue mission um, for his, like really to to find his family roots Um, or was, or even the rescue of um, Zial was there actually an ulterior motive that he was using and I'm sure that plays out later as you've alluded to.
0: Yep. And look, it's not just about being emotionally distant or out of touch because I, I love that scene at the early part of the episode where um, Kira and Odo are talking uh, and and Kira tells Odo what's been discovered and then she says, oh, I guess you're going to try and talk me out of this. and And, and he says, well, Actually, there's no point trying to talk you out of it because this is what you you need to do, and so I'm going to say to you, good luck. I'm going to say, all right, you you go and do this um, because you're not going to rest. Um, and so Odo demonstrates that he knows Kira, and I think there's a fascinating, almost uh, comparison between Odo and Jacot that we can miss. Um, that that um, that that Odo also loves Kira, um, but actually isn't sure how to actually express or explore that um and um and so but but definitely demonstrates in this episode that he knows her that he supports her and he's a good friend
1: yeah yeah odo's a wonderful character i love odo but but also kira i mean she lost also she she there's a there's a there's a closing of a of a mystery for her in this episode where she actually finds out she has lost a friend um we don't spend a lot of time focusing on Kira or there doesn't seem to be much time focused spent on the acknowledgement or, or where that story arc goes. And I'm not even sure who her friend is and whether he makes an appearance at all. But, but um, it's interesting to note that, that there's also a loss there for Kira.
0: Yeah. Well, he's been, he's obviously died in an accident sometime before. Um, it, it's very clear from other episodes that this Shakar resistance cell that Kira was a part of, that she became a part of during her teenage years to to fight the Cardassians um, and, and rid the occupation. Um, really, Kira was a, a freedom fighter or a terrorist, depending on how you want to actually um, run that narrative. Um so, so I'm I'm guessing that if you're you're fighting together uh, against a common enemy and you're having to sleep rough and and uh, and, and do dangerous things, that a, a strong bond actually builds up between um, people who actually are having to do these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and and as I think about this plot, a, um, there's a
1: theological thread that runs through my mind uh, around redemption. Um, is Goldicott irredeemable? Is um, Kira redeemable? Like, like what, what does redemption mean for her? And I think we're already seeing some of what that looks like for her um, based on her past. Uh, and then, what does redemption look like for Zial? You know, like being rescued by her father, which has been her dream that's kept her alive. Um, you know, uh, and then now being taken home, to, what is home? And where, where is she being redeemed to? And yeah, like, and, and what, what does it mean to, for her to be redeemed by someone as, as awful and as
0: complex and as, as Goldicott. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think it's, it's interesting that the title of this uh, episode is Indiscretion. Um, and it would be very easy uh, to just keep that in plot A. Um, but um, th- there's certainly also questions about redemption, uh, about restoration, about closure and, and reconciling with oneself in, in plot B as we, as we explore the complexity um, of, of Cisco. But before we get there, there's some other cultural arcs in plot B as well. Uh, how did you feel about uh, Quark's evaluation of uh, relationships <laughs> in the bar? Well, well, um, uh, I think. Um,
1: oh my goodness. Um, okay, here I'm, I'm showing my, my total um, ineptitude and depth of un, un, lack of depth of knowledge. Um, what was the doctor's name? But Bashir. Dr. Bashir, Bashir. yeah. Um, he says it really well. It's any wonder that the, uh, that the Ferengi can reproduce.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stuff that he comes out with, you know, the list of, of behaviours, uh, they're right out of the toxic masculinity play- <laughs> playbook. We Ferengi know better. Women are the enemy and we treat them accordingly.
1: The key is to never let them get the upper hand. If she says she doesn't see you enough, threaten to see her even less. If she wants more gifts, take back the ones you've already given her. It's all about control.
0: Wow. Treat them mean, keep them keen kind of stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I, uh, and yet here we are again, two humans judging, placing judgment on what is Ferengi culture. This is the way that Ferengi culture is operating. Um Culturally, um, can something, can can one culture pass judgment over another? And that's this is the great
1: um, uh, theological and societal and cultural question that we are really wrestling with our time, because now Westernized, Western, Western uh, Westernized, the, the West, the West, wait, yeah. The Westernisation of the world has meant that there is a dominant narrative that upon which everything else is is cast, um, and and we see that um, uh, in so many places around the world um, and within the church as well. Um, but yes, uh, it's a great question to ask: um, what, how do you how does 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 one culture have the right to critique another culture, or? Um, Is it is it is it only is a culture only critiquable by those within the culture, those who belong to that culture, Um, and and I actually believe that's the case. And so, um, so for for instance, in this Ferengi, um, uh, list of how to treat your woman, um, we as viewers look at that and go, that's just absurd, you know. Uh, But but that's that's the reality for Ferengi. And if my memory of Ferengi society serves me correctly, um, women not only accept that but enjoy that. Is that right or is that, am I wrong? Well,
0: it, it's interesting. That's the dominant narrative. And I think that's a really interesting thing to explore in terms of the dominant narrative um, in a culture because it's very easy for us to then get caught up in stereotypes and caricatures of, 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 of a culture. Um, you know, it's very easy for us to say, "Oh, these people um, all do this," but but Nog um, uh, acts differently. Um, Rom is is quite able to maintain a, an egalitarian relationship with uh, with uh, Lita later on in the in the series. Um, that that even Quark's mother actually begins to question. Um, whether or not um, the 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 misogynistic characteristics of Ferengi relationships are actually necessary in order to maintain the tenets of the profits um, of, of the of the um, the the rules of acquisition. Um, and so there's there, there, there's this there's this there I think there are layers to culture and it's very easy as outsiders for us to actually look at culture and actually say, oh, well, the first thing we see, our first impressions are actually uh, the way in which we're going to script the understanding of, of all members of that culture, and, and, and that can be very dangerous. I think you make an excellent point, Will, and I think
1: it's really important that at everyone who's listening uh, recognise that within cultures there are always different narratives within that culture, and the, the, the dominant narrative that come, emerges out of any culture is set often predominantly by those who are in power. Uh, and and um, it, it, it's always the, the work of, of, of us who are seeking to be countercultural, um, to always give space for the minority voices to have a say, to be able to critique the dominant narrative of any culture. Yeah, so important.
0: And and look, I mean, even uh, uh, in the country of your heritage, you know, there are there are there are two Koreas, um, and and especially for North Korea, there, there are a, a whole range of uh, dominant caricatures and stereotypes that we have um, about about the northern part of, of what was historically once one people, um, and, and so you know, there's a that the, the, it's very easy for us to look at those scenes of uh of military uniforms walking in strict fashion past large missiles and actually say oh that's all there is to know about north korea um without recognizing that 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 there are there are mothers fathers brothers sisters everybody who 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 lives in those places
1: oh absolutely and and the political geopolitical um uh you know Things that surround North and South Korea, uh, we can go on for another couple of podcasts about about that. But but really, but it's interesting in the in 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 the last few years, there's been a, a Korean drama called "Crash Landing on You." For those of you who are interested in K drama, uh, recommend it. It that actually is set um, very much in the South and North kind of meeting, uh, where where a South Korean um, businesswoman um, crashed lands in in North Korea, and it's about it's about showing the humanity or a human side of um, behind the propaganda and um, of, of what North Korea actually is um, it's interesting it's an interesting entertaining show uh, that 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 lands exactly on what you're saying
0: so some of this might be very new for some of our viewers some of our, our listeners um, may have have lived in a very monocultural kind of experience and um, how would you suggest let's get really practical here how would you suggest the best way for someone who encounters another culture but doesn't understand it is is lured by stereotypes and caricatures to actually deepen their understanding of culture how, how do you get past for uh Quark's, uh initial bar room tirade and actually discover the 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 greater depth of 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 a culture look um i think the the
1: the starting point is always um, building relationship, um, and and that starts by um, withholding our own judgments and actually um, coming um, in a in, in a in a position of I want to know, I want to learn, uh, humility, and to say I want to learn and to tell me about yourself, tell me about your life, tell me about what. Uh, Tell me about you (laughs) to another person. And, and I think the building of relationship is absolutely central. Uh, If we can start that, that's the beginning point um, of building trust and then building communication and then building understanding.
0: So would you say it's not not rude to ask a question about something you're curious about, like you know, uh, you know what really goes into kimchi? Like you know, like uh, is is it okay to actually ask ask those kinds of questions? I, I, I think um, you need to develop
1: uh, a, some level of of trust um, when you're asking people. Personal questions, I think, questions about kimchi, you can go to any Korean and they'll be gladly uh, tell you. And very rarely will you kind of go, "How dare you ask me what's in kimchi?" <laughs> uh, but if you were to ask someone um, about their family or about something far more personal, um, it, it does it does require uh, a degree of, of 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 trust, a degree of relationship. So I would not recommend um, going to someone who is of a different nationality. Uh, and to say hey um tell me about the war in your country and tell me about tell me about you like how why are you the way you are like that would just be
0: yeah and that, and that's common sense isn't it I mean really with every relationship we've got to make our way in um, and actually build um build a, a sense of trust and relationship we, we we don't want to be taking any uh any big steps um, in in this situation, like uh, Cisco says in uh, in the B plot.
1: In the B plot, yes, big steps. Um, but yes, it does require um, uh, um, communication, but also humility, but also courage. Um, courage to actually to actually admit that I don't know as much as I think. Um, acknowledge that, um, and, and also to acknowledge that I lay down power. I lay down um, whatever I hold, and to be equals in 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 that, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, um, I think Cisco and and Cass- is it Cassidy? Um, Cassidy Yates. Uh, they're they're two characters as well. That that. Well, uh, for me initially, when I saw it, one the the plot A shined so much brighter than plot B. I, I felt like I was a bit of a uh, a romantic kind of a kind of a, a sub storyline, and I was like, "Give me back to um the other one." But 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 I think there's there's some real uh, live issues that are going on for Cisco and Cassidy, which I think are is really real, and and I really enjoyed. And upon watching it the second time, <laughs> I really enjoyed kind of their storyline too.
0: Well, I'll put you on the spot here. We'll do a bit of a quiz, a bit of a test. Okay. So so um, clearly there's some hesitancy in entering into a relationship for Cisco Um what is it about Cisco's history and backstory that actually may be causing that hesitancy that that uh, that you know or you saw in the episode? Um, so I've got a vague recollection that um, Cisco was married, uh, and his
1: wife was killed um, by an attack of some kind, where wherever that was, it a ship or or whatever was was attacked and destroyed, um, and so. I think for Cisco, he carries a great deal of guilt and burden that um, his line of work is dangerous, and he lost his 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 wife um, in that. And to enter into another relationship is not
0: easy. And and we begin this series, Deep Deep Space Nine, with Cisco in the midst of that that grief and loss. Um, that Jake Jake's only very young. Um, the, the the battle uh, that he loses his wife in uh, is actually the battle for Wolf 359 where Locutus of Borg um, assaults the Federation and many Federation ships are killed now we, uh, we know Lucutus, uh of Borg is uh, aka for uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard Welcome to Bajor It's been a long time Captain We met before Yes, sir. We met in battle. I was on the Saratoga, at Wolf Three Five Nine. I assume that you have been briefed on the events. If any of you are watching the current series of Picard, you'll be seeing that some of some of that stuff is being unpacked there as well that there that there's uh there's a, there's some great storyline coming out for for Borg and Picard and locutus too so um, I uh, commend Picard to you but um yeah that's the battle but yes you're right I mean and and there's a sense in which Cisco is is not ready um, to risk um, um, putting someone in that position again or, or maybe even like old dacottte some of it is is selfish. He's not risk, not prepared to risk being responsible um, for for um, for that again. So he's making the decision to remain alone and depart. It's 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 interesting. And, and
1: again, this is um, I don't know whether it's because I don't know his character well, but he Cisco seems to be absolutely fearless leader when it comes to politics. When it comes to um, um, standing his ground against uh, other resistance cells and, and uh, enemies of, of the Federation. And yet, when it comes to his romantic life, uh, he, he seems to be a, um, uh, fearful and, un, uh, and and
0: doubting himself, unsure. Is that his character? <laughs> like uh, <coughs> Certainly, we haven't seen this side okay. of Cisco really at all. So what he says in this episode is, um I haven't been in in any relationships since um Jennifer his wife died. And and that's true. I mean um he he we, we really haven't had the opportunity to see this side. I think there was one episode where um where someone attempted to actually form a relationship with him and and it became a plot arc and and so that probably just reinforced his need to actually stay out of relationships. Um, but yeah, this is the first time he's actually had to seriously entertain that somebody might make life changes uh, in order to actually enter into his, his world or be a part of his, his world.
1: And it's a very awkward uh, dinner meal um, when, you, when you look at that, that initial um, oh, yeah. meal where um, Cassidy tells him that she's planning to take a new job and move on to the station and he just goes.
0: That's a big step. That's a big step. <laughs> I I love that you get the next scene where where, you know, Dax and Bashir are evaluating like they're going, oh. You know, Bashir says, Well, you know, it could be worse. You could have said it was a very big step. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but they're they're almost enjoying seeing this side of him. There there's almost some some teasing banter happening here as they're kind of going, Well, Wow, well, we don't get to see this very often, so let's um, let's, let's stay with it. There's a, hu- there's a humanity that's actually coming out of Cisco at the moment that he doesn't always let those who he has to command see.
1: And, and he's, uh, he, he, he doesn't, he's, there's a limit to his sharing. Um, he he, he kind of says, well, look, I'll let you know how it all goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And it's interesting how his, the, the advice of what he should do comes from his son. Yes. And from Nog. <laughs> That's right. You talk to Nog about this. <laughs> like um, and so there is a there is a, 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 a perception and a depth to to Jake um, in what he's observed and what he's heard and, and putting it all together. Uh, he understands his father.
0: What I really like about this is that while Cisco has come to the place where he doesn't want to take responsibility for this decision and he's he's nervous about what the implications might be and the future might be cassidy in a very uh I, 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 independent um self-aware kind of way actually says well actually it isn't your decision um i will decide what i do with my life and if i want to move on to the station then that's what i'll do and if if that enhances or damages our relationship then then let it happen and and that's what um that's that's what we hear from jake um very clearly as well that he he's very able to see well i understand that you're wanting to protect and and control and manage the situation as as let's be honest a lot of men do um he 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 has to come to terms with the fact that this isn't his his decision it's not his place to manage and it's not his right to control
1: I think there's a, uh, a valuable lesson for many men and indeed many people, um, male and female, where this is um, a really important lesson to be reminded of at this time. Um, at a time when we're coming out of COVID, when there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of um, unknown, um, a lot of natural disasters, a lot of wars going on, um, we, we live in a time where self-awareness and what is actually in our control and what is not, um, how we respond
0: to those is actually so, so important. Um, I think there are a lot of lessons from COVID that have taught us that as well, um, about, about, uh, you know, just w- we, we have this illusion sometimes that we control our world and we set our destiny and we, we forge our path. And in fact, there've been a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of years that we just abs- absolutely no control over. Um, and, and we have to work out what does it feel like when, when we can't control the universe?
1: Uh, I, don't, I, re- I think this is a time when everyone is, is experiencing the same, same thing. And
0: yeah, it's crazy times. So this uh, episode directed by LeVar Burton. Uh, there you go. Here's another test for you. LeVar Burton. Yes. Who plays? Geordie LaForge. Geordie LaForge. Absolutely. And and so many of the Geordie LaForge episodes featuring relationships um, and dynamics. And, I mean, Geordie LaForge is the unlucky and love member of the Star Trek Next Generation universe. Um, was, he, de- he never had a
1: relationship, proper relationship, did he?
0: Oh, he tries though. He gives it a good tries. Hurt. I know, but yeah, he, he, he never was successful. He even uh, develops a holographic girlfriend for himself so that That's he can right, actually. Yeah. Uh, oh, um. So so, uh, you know, I think Levar has brought a great deal of his experience to this episode in terms of um, uh, being able to 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 work through relationships. I I love that. Often Star Trek episodes aren't good, at at um. At awkward relationship plot lines, um, and it's it's often so much more about fly the starship, shoot the thing, fire the phaser, uh, you know, and, and make that happen. But but there's a there's a depth to the interpersonal in this that um, that I think Levar's brought out very well.
1: And I think we've definitely um, DS Nine is characterised by that development of character arcs as opposed to earlier Star Trek series.
0: And Levar's doing very well now. I'm a host on Jeopardy. Uh, saw him at the uh, at one of the movie award nights the other night. Um, 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 doing comedy, uh, so he's uh, he's he certainly uh, developed a very strong uh, post Star Trek career. Uh, Lavar, if you're listening uh, and you'd like to come on to the Deep Faith Nine podcast, uh, just drop me a line. Uh, send me an email at neverodd or even. Uh, dot M E uh, at gmail.com and I, I would love to have you uh, come on and uh, and have a chat with me about uh, what it was like to direct some of these episodes
1: that would be amazing it would mean that I can step, I can step out and
0: Levar can come in amazing <laughs> is, absolutely I love that name too oh, Levar isn't it a great name it's good <laughs> <laughs> So uh, look, I think that's been um, an excellent um, uh, coverage of quite a ra- wide range of topics. Um, were there any other thoughts that you wanted to uh, to draw in uh, as we as we come to the end of our episode today? Uh, look, just just an
1: enjoyable episode, and uh, as always, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks Will
0: for having me on. Fantastic. Now uh, we've got uh, some really excellent um, speakers coming. Not to say, Robin, you haven't been an excellent speaker today, no, but we've got unworthy. some 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 um, some amazing uh, international guests coming up shortly um, uh, next month in May. Uh, we'll have uh, Maurice Brodie, uh, acclaimed international. Uh, author and Afrofuturist um, who uh, has just released his book A Sweep in Time uh, and uh, has uh, has has done a lot of work in in looking at some of the cultural things we've talked about today. So looking forward to to what Morris will bring uh, and uh, and likewise in a couple of weeks uh, German theologian Mirjam uh, Jellek will be coming on as well uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing her exploration of uh, theopoetics. Um, and the way in which um, that actually um, is 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 so inherently involved in. Um, looking at, at current narratives and historical narratives and understanding their theological uh, intersection and I- implications. So, so some fun stuff coming up uh, in, the, in the future, uh, as well as many of our, our regulars. Uh, um, don't forget, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, regular uh, Ferengi expert, um, uh, Niall McKay, will be joining us for uh, Little Green Men. Uh, a fantastic episode of uh, of uh, Earth history uh, where the Ferengi become the uh, the first aliens to land on the planet Earth, which is uh, pretty exciting. Um, so all of that in store. If you'd like to support us, then please uh, make your way to um, Patreon, uh, Neverond or even Media um, a Patreon account uh, and support us there. Uh, and all of the, the, the goodies that you get there, special um, Patreon-only articles that are posted there, as well as live-streamed events uh, and, uh, and other bits and pieces. Um, so um, I, uh, I invite you to come along uh, and, um, and support us as we continue to try and uh, bring this intersection of faith and science fiction into the future. Um, I don't think I've got anything else to say today, uh, except uh, thank you again, Robin, for joining me at such short notice to talk about this episode. Um, and um, and thank you to all of the, the, the listeners out there who uh, engage so readily with the Never Odd or Even uh, podcasts.
1: Thanks, Will. And thanks, everyone, for putting up with me.
0: Until next time, this has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And uh, for Never Odd or Even, uh, looking forward to uh, to catching up with you again in future. Deep Faith Nine is a never odd or even production.